Hello, my lovelies. Hello, my friends. And welcome back to my podcast on murder, mystery and mayhem. Today's case we're going to look at is the baffling abduction of Harry Brow. On September the 5th, 1936, at around 4.30pm, three brothers named Charles, who was nine, Edward, who was seven, and Harry, whose nickname was Buddy, and he was 19 months old, left their home in Detroit, Michigan. They were going to the park and were pushing Harry in his stroller. The siblings walked from their house <coughs> in 1468 17th Street to the park, which was about 14 blocks away. At around 6.30pm, a woman came to the park with two little girls. She saw Charles and Edward playing on the swings with some other children. And the woman turned and seen Harry in his stroller beside the swings and started showing him a lot of attention. She talked to the boys for a little while and then offered to buy them ice cream for all three brothers. She also said she could watch Harry for a while. With money in their hands, Charles and Edward went to a nearby candy shop to buy ice cream. When they came back and finished eating their cones, the woman offered Charles some more money. This time she wanted him to buy candy. She told Edward to watch over Charles as he crossed the street and to make sure that he did it safely. Edward followed the woman's instructions and watched Charles as he crossed the street. Instead of going inside the store, Edward stayed right outside the door. When Charles came out of the store, he noticed that Edward had three pennies. Charles asked Edward where he got them, and Edward said that a man had approached him and given him the pennies so that he could buy more candy. The brothers decided not to buy any more treats and they went back to the park to play. When Charles and Edward reached the swings, where they had left Harry in the stroller, they suddenly found out that Harry was no longer there. They looked around the playground but couldn't find him or the woman. It took them about three hours before they went back home. And when they arrived, they told their parents, Robert, 35, and Alice, 27, what had happened. The Brow family immediately called the police. Charles and Edward told the investigators that the woman they saw was in her 30s. She was a bit on the heavier side with blonde hair and glasses. She was wearing a blue and white dress. She didn't have any stockings on, but she was wearing black shoes. They also described the two girls who were with her. One of the girls was around seven years old. She was wearing a brown dress with black shoes and yellow stockings. The other girl was about 11, wearing a blue dress with matching black shoes and yellow stockings. The man who gave Edward the three pennies had a cleft palate and was wearing a grey hat and a dark suit. Brow family couldn't understand why anyone would want to take baby Harry. They lived in a simple, worn-out house and didn't have much money. Robert works in a steel factory and Alice took care of their six children as a homemaker. Besides Charles, Edward and Harry, 
Their other children were Robert Jr., who was four years old, Marion, who was three years old, and Irene, three months old. The investigators asked Charles and Edward many questions to make sure they were telling the truth about what happened. Although the boys mentioned that Harry had fallen out of his stroller on the way to the park, they said he wasn't hurt. After being questioned several times, the detectives were sure that the boys were telling the truth. Investigators also talked to two friends of the Bow children who were at the park that day. Dolores and Joan Gallagher, aged four and eleven. And they were both there with their mother. They told the police the same story about a woman dressed in blue taking Harry. Another woman who was at the park confirmed this and mentioned that she saw a man carrying Harry in his arms shortly after he disappeared. She provided a similar description of the man who had given Edward extra money for sweets. A massive search effort began, immediately involving many police officers, volunteers and even the local Boy Scouts, all trying to find baby Harry. Unfortunately, they couldn't find any sign of the missing baby or the people who were said to have taken him. To expand the search area, they distributed 10,000 flyers in multiple states. Now you have to remember this was back in 1936. The flyers offered a reward of $650 and provided a description of Harry aged 19 months. His height was 2 feet and 4 inches and he weighed 26 pounds. He had blue eyes, light brown, dark blonde hair. He was wearing a white romper, no stockings and black shoes. Also mentioned that Harry had a missing fingernail on his left ring finger and distinctive scars behind each of his ears. These scars were quite noticeable and unique. Just three months before Harry disappeared, he had undergone surgery, which involved removing diseased cells from the air-filled spaces in his mastoid bone. The scars were a result of that surgery. Hundreds of tips poured in from people who claimed to have seen the missing child, including from nearby Indiana and as far away as Canada. According to one man, he was confident that he had seen Harry at a small gas station in Indiana, in the company of a man and woman driving a car with Michigan plates. There were two separate phone calls that claimed Harry was in Indiana. The investigators even went to Toronto, Canada to check on babies involved in the unusual event called the Great Stork Derby. The, contact, the contest took place from 1926 to 1936 when women in Toronto competed to have the most babies in 10 years to be eligible for a bequest from a millionaire who organised the event. Unfortunately, all the leads turned out to be prank calls or led to dead ends, yielding no information about Harry's whereabouts. Harry's parents were devastated and tried their best to spread the word about him. Alice travelled all the way to New York City to speak on a radio show that reached the entire country. Meanwhile, Robert made a plea to the kidnappers asking them to leave the baby with a clergyman. 
he was worried that the constant stream of curious people coming to their house might discourage the kidnappers from returning baby Harry. In their desperation, the Brow family even consulted a psychic several times, hoping for any information that could help them find their missing son. In the following days, and as any promising leads began to dwindle, a clue finally presented itself in the form of a postcard. On September the 11th, Alice received a picture of postcard from Detroit in the mail. This is what it said. Mrs. Brow, please forgive me for taking your baby. You cannot understand how it is to be without one. You have so many, surely you can spare this one. He is beginning to like us now. We want you to know that. The investigators found a postcard that had been written by a woman and it had a torn corner. They explained that kidnappers sometimes use this method to establish the identity of a baby if their appearance had changed. However, usually this method was used in ransom cases and the Brow family had not received any ransom requests. While the investigators thought the postcard might be genuine, they were unable to locate the person who had written it. In 1950, another tragedy occurred in the Brow family. One evening while walking, Alice and Robert were hit by a car. Unfortunately, Alice passed away immediately. Robert sustained serious injuries, including a broken pelvis and internal bleeding. With Alice's passing, Robert was left to take care of their children, who had now grown to a total of 12. <coughs> However, with his injuries from the accident, Robert was unable to continue working. A short time later, Robert and his children moved in with Alice's mother, Marion. In those days, it would have been quite common if there was a death in the family or anything like that, that you would move back in with either your parents or your husband's or wife's parents. In 1952, Charles got a job as a gasoline truck driver to support his family. He used the money he earned to help them as much as he could. Unfortunately, that year brought another heartbreaking loss for the Brow family. Charles was involved in a fatal collision with another vehicle and he died instantly. Later in December, Marion, another family member, also passed away. During that same month, a fire broke out and destroyed a part of their home leaving them without heating. It was such a difficult time for the family. Eventually, after a long struggle with the insurance company, Robert was appointed as the administrator of Marion's modest estate. In 1962, a potential breakthrough emerged when a young man claimed to be Harry. Neil Shine, a reporter who had been a childhood playmate of Charles, and Edward had written about their behaviour following the disappearance. He received a phone call one evening with information. The young man who called claimed that he had come across the story about Harry and became worried that he might be the missing boy. He shared some intriguing similarities, such as being the same age, having blue eyes and having scars behind each of his ears. That made his story even more compelling was that he mentioned a deathbed confession made by the woman 
he believed to be his mother. According to the young man, before her death, she had told him, you are some other woman's baby. I took you. I have never been sorry except for breaking that woman's heart. After having multiple conversations, the man informed Neil that he had made a decision not to complicate his life. If he was indeed Harry, however, Neil, driven by his own determination, took it upon himself to search for the young man. Based on their conversations, Neil believed the young man worked in a hotel kitchen. Over a period of six months, Neil tirelessly searched through numerous hotel kitchens, hoping to find a young man with scars behind his ears. Unfortunately, despite his efforts, Neil was unable to locate anyone matching that description. Robert died in 1964, just two years after the events. Edward passed away in 1986. Over time, most of Harry's siblings have also passed away, leaving only two remaining. Despite the losses, there are still family members actively searching for Harry, who would be in his late 80s now. Their sole hope is to finally find an answer to the question that has haunted their family for all these years. What happened to baby Harry? The family has gone through horrendous times, not just having their child kidnapped, but having the fire, the, the car that crashed into the boat of the parents. Then they're going to live with the grandmother and then the grandmother dying. I mean, it's just, it seems tragedies seem to take place in some families and they seem to have more than their fair share of tragedies. Unfortunately, <clears throat> To this day, baby Harry has never been found. The only thing that I can think of is that lady at the park with the two girls. They were probably her daughters and maybe she'd lost a little boy or she was carrying a boy and miscarried a little boy. And through her grieving process, she decided she would take one. And if she did write that postcard, she had to have known that Harry's mother had a good few other children. And she wrote the note just to let Harry's mother know that he was okay and that he was settling in. But it's a very, very sad story. Now, if I thought I was a missing person, I would have to, personally speaking, I would have to investigate it. That's my personality. I would have to find out where I was from, who my parents might be. So that man who was speaking to the reporter, he said he didn't want to complicate his life and I understand that. But for me, curiosity would kill me. I would have to go out there and find it. What are your thoughts on baby Harry? Do you think he is alive? Do you think he had any memories at all of his previous family? And why do you think the man and the lady took him? Guys, thank you as always for listening to Victoria's podcast on murder, mystery and mayhem. I hope you have an amazing weekend. The weather here in Ireland has been divine the last few days. So I hope wherever you are, the sun is shining. Thank you.